Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,732. Today I'm in the Pacific Northwest with a great friend of mine talking cars. We're going to have some fun, so sit tight. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today, I'm in the Pacific Northwest, as I mentioned, uh, up near Seattle with a good friend of mine by the name of David Smith. David, welcome to Cars Yeah. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride, my friend? Absolutely. Thank you, Mark. We're going to have some fun here today. Now, before I do a proper introduction, what's one little thing that most people don't know about you, David? In my freshman year at the University of Washington, I was selected for the All-American Unlimited Hydroplane Crew of the Year. Whoa! I was the youngest one ever to be selected, and uh, it was a great privilege. And at the time, I didn't know what, really what it meant because I had just started professionally racing, which paid for my schooling at the University of Washington. You know, this is pretty cool, and for those of you who know the Pacific Northwest, they had hydroplane racing up here for a long time. Where I grew up in San Diego on Mission Bay, they had hydroplane racing, which is cool. I'd go and do that every year. But being a part of the crew, what are a couple of the things that you did in that role? Well, we had a, we had a very good uh, crew, and I worked on uh, Miss Bartle at the time. And a little bit of background, my father started in boat racing in the mid or early 50s and actually worked on one of their famous boats, the Slow Mo 5. And as my brother and I grew up, dad said one day, geez, do you want to go to Cub Scouts or you want to go to the boat shop? Well, we went to the boat shop and we were told we weren't welcome uh, because we were too young. We didn't know anything. And my father said, well, if my boys aren't welcome, then I'm not welcome. So the racers put up with us, and that's what we started doing as kids. But they put us to work, and slowly we learned about it and everything else. So my role was what was called the hull man. So I took care of the cockpit. I took care of the running, all the running mechanism from the gearbox back, propeller, rudder, that sort of thing, and an engine switch because sometimes we switched engines in between the heats that we ran. I would do the carburetor and the front end and then jump back down and start working on the rest of the boat. So anything that was in the hull was my responsibility. If we broke something, I fixed it. We punched a hole in something, I repaired it, and uh, in between the races, because we usually ran three heats during a race, I would check the propeller for cracks, anything out of line or anything like that, and then carefully go over the hull to make sure everything was okay. Whoa. So we had four members on the crew, and sometimes when we had a crew chief on top of that. So everybody was really, really busy. And the interesting thing is because we worked, we didn't speak a lot because we knew what we had to do. And during the time in between heats, what would happen is the boat would come out of the water on the trailer. And we had the record uh, that stood for many years that we could do a complete engine change, fuel the boat, put nitrous in, check everything and back in the water. We could do it in 22 minutes. Oh, my gosh. Well, so much for the concept that this young kid didn't know how to do anything. My gosh, you were in charge of major things. That That is absolutely yeah. fascinating. Well, I love that you share that. Let me give you a proper introduction, and we're going to dive into some questions here today, David. David Smith is an entrepreneur and a retired industrial designer. He founded the Precore Company. I've got one of their machines in my house that I walk on every day and was their president for many years before selling and diving deep into classic automobile research, restoration, and Concord judging. He was awarded Consumer Product of the Year Award as a designer. He holds numerous patents and design awards and acts as a design consultant for vintage Italian car restorations. David has been a judge at the Pebble Beach Concord Elegance for over 30 years with a specialty in Ferrari and Italian design. His classic automobile restorations have earned 33 Pebble Beach class awards and show awards. Absolutely brilliant. We'll be back in just a minute to talk more with David, but first a word from our sponsors. Sit tight. We'll be right back. 
Did you know Covercraft offers you much more than just car covers? They have quality protection for the inside of your vehicle as well. Their plush, custom-fit floor mats turn any ride into something special. Or choose Premier Berber Custom Floor Mats, a favorite of mine, if you want something very stylish and pretty unique. Covercraft floor mats are quality-made and provide your ride with the ultimate protection from moisture, dirt, mud, snow, and slush. And those occasional spills. Don't forget your vehicle's trunk area. Their Carhartt custom cargo liners not only look great, but keep your rear cargo area and seats protected. Custom fit truck liners for sedans, coupes, and SUVs are perfect to protect the factory carpet from all those things that could stain and damage your vehicle. All your options are quality made, easy to use, secure to the floor, and look oh so good. Check out Covercraft.com for a wide variety of styles, colors, and options for a custom fit today. And have I got a deal for you. If you use the code yeah 120 at Covercraft.com, you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off. Simply use the code yeah 120 yeah 120 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. I found a new way to protect my vehicle. American Collectors Insurance. That's who now protects my Porsche Turbo, the one I call my orange crush. But did you know they also insure your valuable collectibles of automobilia and automotive collectibles? If you're like me, you've invested in a lot of cool automotive collectibles over the years. Those items are valuable. And if you were to lose them in a theft or a fire, well, try to get your normal homeowner's insurance to pay you what they're worth. Good luck with that. American Collectors Insurance provides you with assurance and confidence that your collectibles are fully covered. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting us automotive enthusiasts since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by a history of taking care of their clients. Give them a call today for a quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love. I did. American Collectors Insurance, classic car and collectible insurance designed by collectors for collectors, just like you and me. All right, David, we are back. And as we continue on this journey that I'm going to call your life, I would love for you to share a success quote or a mantra, some kind of saying that's been important in your life, a guiding word of wisdom, if you will. Uh, It's a nice way to get the propeller shaft spinning or the tires smoking here a little bit on cars. Yeah. So David, grab the wheel. Mark, one thing I've had my whole life, and I'm not sure where it came from, the quote I used at work all the time, don't let it happen, make it happen. So tell me, I know you well, so I already know some of the answers to this, but tell me how you've incorporated that wonderful quote into your success in life. Well, success has been something that is something that I've worked on a lot because of how I grew up and what was happening. But it was doing things correctly and making sure the details are done, finishing what you start and getting through that. And that was very, very key, especially in the business world. And that is finishing, doing right. And because I worked in products my whole life, it was doing the best you can and always putting your best foot forward. And don't take the easy way out. Do it the right way. And that was that was what I learned from my father. And it really made things right because in the role that was the most important in my life was running Precore and being the founder of it. I wanted to always be the BMW, the Mercedes, Porsche or whatever of exercise equipment. And that's what we were. I didn't want it to break. I didn't want to hear about it. I wanted to be proud of what we did. So I pushed extremely hard on all the people that worked with me that we would build the best we could. And that's what we did. Well, you guys did. And Precore is a company, as I mentioned, I have one of your treadmills long since after you've lost, uh, left the business, I should say. But when I moved up here, my wife and I bought this machine. I will tell you something. We use it almost every day. It's never been serviced and it still works perfectly and it's 25 years old. I don't know of any mechanical device in my house except maybe my Porsche Turbo and old BMW cars that 
have lasted that long. Everything else today seems to be designed to last about five or 10 years and then it blows up and you have to get a new one. You did your job well, my friend. And I'll tell listeners, I met David when I moved up here 26 years ago. He was a big part of the car world. And we're going to dive into what you're doing in cars now. I've always thought of myself as being very particular. David takes it to a whole nother level. And I will say you're one of those guys that I always have strived to be like because the level of attention and detail and expertise that you bring into everything, from your house that you designed and worked on and built to the cars you do, you blow me away, David, and I'm really honored to be your friend. I would love for you to talk about what you're doing these days as a quote-unquote so-called retired guy. And you and I laughed about this. When you got married, you got married a little later in life. Your wife, Jody kind of thought, oh, I'm going to marry this retired guy who sold his business and we'll sit back and coast. And uh, far from it, you are a busy guy. So tell our listeners all the fun that you're having being a design consultant, a Concord judge for vintage Italian cars and restoration. Well, thank you, Mark. It's very kind what you're saying. And it's been a great pleasure of mine to know you, work with you, and be a good friend all these years. <laughs> thank too. you. Thank you. You get high, high, high rewards from me on that, too. Awesome. So. Today, what's happening, or even in this, uh, call it the weird world we're in today, I'm doing consulting on two cars for Pebble Beach when Pebble Beach actually happens, and they're um, Italian cars, and both of them happen to be Maseratis at, at this time. So it's a very important thing, and it's fun because I also have a vintage Maserati, which I did, uh, restored and so forth. So. This brings a lot of the same things that I'm doing together. What's very different, though, Mark, is that this is what I call an Internet restoration. I'm building parts. Another group is building parts. I'm overseeing the project, but we're doing it virtually on the web. So pictures, talking, Zoom meetings, all of that happen to get the cars to where they're going to need, need to be. And I'm hoping, and this is the one of the things, is that when the cars are finished and we're ready to go, best foot forward again, that I can actually put my eyes and hands on the cars, which I normally do. So that's taking a bunch of time. And the other thing is, I haven't been able to go, and normally what I do is go to Europe and you know source parts, find this and get the details I need. This is all becoming virtual, so I'm spending a lot of time on the computer looking at things, working things, and also trying to get the bits and pieces I need, and originality is key to what I'm doing. This is fascinating because the challenges that so many people faced last year and continuing into this year, unfortunately, have to mean that we have to change. We have to modify. We have to adjust. We have to move around. Yes. Pivot's a word that you hear used over and over again. But you're the first guy I've talked to that's doing a restoration virtually. Now, I know that there has meanings to that. and There's different things that you do. But this is absolutely fantastic. I've known you for so long, and you have shared your cars in so many ways. I've had the luxury of riding in many of your cars. I would love for you to chat before we get into maybe these Maseratis a little bit, some of the very, I mean, you don't just pick cars because they're old Italian cars. You pick cars that are very, very special. Uh, Seata, Alfa Romeo, I mean, Ferrari, there's been some insane cars that have passed through your hands over the years. And my understanding is you tend to go out and source these things. You restore and build these cars, working with all sorts of artisans and your expertise eyes. You take them out, you enjoy them, you drive them, you, you have them at Concours events, and then you sell them and move on to the next project. Your wheels are always spinning. Could you just maybe mention three or four of the amazing vehicles you've had in your hands in the past? Thank you, Mark. Part of what I've done is, as a designer, I always start out with finding the car that actually looks fantastic. It has to look fantastic, and hopefully at the end of the project, it will also look fantastic and be back to originally, but also drive and be as good as it looks. And that's part of the whole thing that I try to do is the cars not only have to look good, but they also have to work good and they have to be fun and so forth. Because at the end of the day, if you don't drive the car, it's a waste of time having it. These are not pictures that hang on the wall. These are rolling art. And the best way I can say it is fantastic rolling sculpture. That's what these cars are. 
So in my life, I've been fortunate to work on a number of really the most famous cars in the world, working for other people, and I have owned a couple myself. So let's start with the first one that is the most wild, crazy ride I've ever had, and that's a, a 1994 Ferrari 412 T1B. It was raced and by Gerhard Berger and John Lacey. It was a second, a third, and a fourth overall in 1994. The last of the V12s, 850 horse, strapped to your back, and it's all mechanical. There's no driver aids. So as the uh, people in Ferrari said, point it straight because that's where it's going to go. <laughs> and you drove that car. I drove that car. Yeah. And uh, it's a, uh, people say, what was it like? It was scary. It was the most exciting thing that's ever happened in my life. And the other part of it is it's a mechanical marvel. So I said it's the best thing to being in Nassau and never being there. <laughs> and I just love the mechanics of it. And I was fortunate to have it uh, for a number of years and was able to work on it with a good friend of mine, Chris Canal who also worked on indie cars and so forth. We ran the car, we worked on the car, and we did it. And unfortunately, at the time, I didn't realize we upset the Ferrari people because they wanted us just to have the car but never touch it. Yeah. So we went around that and de-engineered the car, worked on it, changed it, did it, and everything else. And at the end of the day, when we were with the Ferrari group in at uh, Laguna Seca, they came and basically congratulated me on a job well done. <laughs> if we, and that was a really fine day. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell listeners here, if we had an hour, there is a backstory to this that would just blow you away. Maybe we'll have you come back and share that story because it was what you pulled off. The fact that you got that thing running after purchasing and getting it where basically Ferrari didn't give you all the parts. Anyway, there's a long story and we won't get into that, but magnificent car so where do you go from there i mean you kind of started at the top well this is this is a long way into my uh working and so forth but the other thing is i guess part of it was my life started in the world of ferraris and so forth so one of the other cars that i really really loved was a ferrari and over a couple race cars and other things like that I was able to get a uh, long wheelbase California Spider, and uh, when I got the car, didn't realize it had been on fire, bad situation, sucked a valve, and I got it off the truck, and it sucked a valve getting off the truck, so I ended up pushing it into my garage oh, and God. going, oh my God, what, what happened? What here? have I done? <laughs> what have I done? But it ended up, after working in an absolutely fantastic car, and it's won many, many major awards, and it was such a beautiful car to have, to drive, and so forth. And um, after I go through the process, which I really, really love, sometimes I need another, you know, kick or something, and another car comes along. And that was the Alfa Romeo Competition, 1948 race car for our, excuse me, Alfa Romeo team car. And it had a first in a Targa Floria, second and third in the Milia Milia, and numerous, numerous awards. Absolutely. I saw the car in Europe. The person I was talking to said, I will never, ever sell the car. I said, I'm a buyer anytime. And a year and a half later, I got the phone call. So a little bit of a trade, a little bit of a transaction. The Ferrari went to a good friend in California, and the competition came home. And what I didn't realize, because I never drove the car, big mistake, it wasn't finished. Uh. It drove like a pile of rocks. It was like being in a washing machine. It was like, <laughs> oh, my God. What happened? So, what have I done again? <laughs> what have I done? So guess what? The car comes apart, and then part of the restoration was done very, very poorly. So that got changed and everything else and so forth. But the end of the day, car goes to Pebble Beach, does very well. It was a real hoot because today it's the only one in the world that's left. There was three of them built, actually two together and so forth. The major uh, team drivers drove the car. This was actually driven and owned by Franco Roll, a famous uh, Italian race driver that had lots of funding. So he ended up buying the car from the Alpha team mm. and so forth. But beautiful car. 
And the only thing that I will say with about it is because it was built for the Italians, who were very small people physically, it was a bit cramped inside and hot. Mm. I mean, we're talking hot, no ventilation, but it really would go. It was a very fun, beautiful car, and it was the only one in the world. So it was very, very well uh, received anywhere that car went. Yeah, I remember getting to spend a day photographing that car. One of the things I remember about it was there was a dipstick, basically, to check the fuel fullness, right? Yes, <laughs> that's true. And when I got the car, that dipstick was jammed underneath the seat. And I'm going, what is this? Because there's no fuel quantity. And it had a very, very large aluminum riveted fuel tank, which basically took up the back seat and the back of the car because yeah. it was a fast back. And that is so they could run in the endurance races and not have to have more fuel. It was a brilliant car. So from now, where does one go from a Ferrari 412 T1B to a long wheelbase California Spider, And then, of course, the Alfa Romeo Competizione. Where does one go from there? Well, uh, a friend of mine in Europe said, you know, the Rosso Bianco collection is being sold. There's a couple of really cool cars in there. And I had the book and I said, oh, this is like the Holy Grail. Let's go and see what we can get. And so through a bunch of negotiations and everything else, I ended up with the Seata. Yes. Uh, HCS. And it was a fantastic car. Again, good racing history. Very small, beautifully built car. This was one of the few that was built by Farina, not Pin and Farina, but Farina, Stablamenti Farina, with a V8. It really hauled. It had had the mechanical work done in Europe when it was in Russell Bianco. And then when I was able to get it, uh, I realized very quickly the door didn't open. And I'm going, well, this is weird. Well, the reason why they were welded shut. And the car was originally a hard top. It was cut for the Targa Floria, which it ended up in second place. And so, no, it actually was a sixth place car. And <clears throat> it ended up that it was too hot. So they cut the top off it and the car was falling apart. So the easy thing to do is just weld the door shut. <laughs> wow. And since it was an open car, you just jumped in. Well, yeah. that wasn't going to work. So engineering it, taking it apart and putting it together and really reinforcing the chassis, it became a beautiful, beautiful, absolutely gorgeous car and a wonderful car to drive. This was the first car to be shown at Pebble Beach in a configuration, and it was the first post-war car to become runner-up to best of show. Yes. I have a wonderful picture of you and your son, Spencer, on the tour in that vehicle. You both have huge smiles on your face. What year was that, Ciada? Uh That was in 1953. 53. It's a... Oh, Magnificent blue color, the story you shared about the grill that you made for that car, and all those Seattas were all a little bit different. That car just had a, a little bit of a Barchetta feel to it, the Ferrari Barchetta feel to it. I think it looked better with the top off of it. And uh, one of the things that was hilarious is we were having a great time on the tour, but because we got there a little bit late, this is a Pebble Beach tour, Spencer always goes with me on these tours, which has been a pleasure to have your son with you. And we are stuck behind a bunch of cars and so forth. So we get down by the quail and uh, it opened up, the road opens up, so it's a two-laner there. Yep. And I said, Spencer, it's time that we get up to the front, <laughs> which you're not supposed to do. Yeah. So anyway, we were getting, you know, way in the back, and this car in front of us was puking oil all over us and spitting, and, and there's other things. And so because cars are not always set because of the way they go, they're set because of where you show up in the morning. So I said, hold on, Spencer, and... We opened that thing up, and we passed about 20 cars all at once, <laughs> and I didn't where it wanted to be. And I remember after we were at lunch, two people came up to me and said, what is in that car? I've never seen something go that fast beside me. Yeah. And I said, it's just a little V8, and it's really a great car. A so, little V8, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, small block V8. There you go. So where do we go from the Seattle? 
the Seattle and so forth, I, I'm going to bring in another part. These are cars that I all owned, restored, and everything else. And I got an invitation to work with one of the major uh, collectors in the world. So I went down, and this is in Oregon, and I said, yes, I'm interested in restoring one of your cars. And my only caveat on this is we're going to do – actually, the caveat was two things. We're going to do it right. That was okay. And I get to pick the car. Ooh. What? I said, yeah, I get to pick the car I want to restore, the wow. first one, and we'll go from there. So the answer was, okay, pick a car. And there's some unbelievable cars in this collection. So I picked the 315S that in 1957 won the last Million Milia Ferrari. Mm. V12, double overhead cam. And it's a 315S that was driven by Taruffi. Wow. And that car was um, a wonderful restoration. Part of it was done in Oregon. Part of it was done up here. Part was done at that. And when it went to Pebble Beach... It won everything, and then it went to the Ferrari Nationals, actually went to the Ferrari Nationals and was best to show there, then went to Pebble Beach and won everything, then went back to the Nationals and won again. And three years ago at Pebble Beach, after the restoration was 12 years old, it not only won its class, the best Ferrari race car in the year of the Ferrari, but it was also runner-up to best of show. First time a Ferrari race car had ever been there. And that restoration was 12 years old at the time. My gosh. Yeah. Just over the top. That car is stunning. Stunning. It is. Go ahead. No, it it is stunning. And what's it like to drive? It is like driving a big locomotive. (laughs) It goes so fast, but it doesn't want to stop because it doesn't have enough brakes And it doesn't want to turn real well because there's so much mass and weight in the front end with that huge engine up there. And this is the biggest engines that Ferrari ever built for racing. It was, my gosh, it's a very, very uh, interesting car to drive. During the first year when it was shown, I also restored the D-Jag that won Le Mans at the same time. Uh, it was being so both those cars were shown the same year at Pebble Beach and they both won. This wow. is early on and so forth. So during the tour, the manager, which is Dominic Dobson, he drove the Ferrari and I had the uh, D-Jag that won Le Mans. And we got behind in something because of a number of things. So we had to race across the top of the hill from Laguna Seca to Quail to get back up with a group and so forth. So it was interesting because Dominic could take me on a straightaway, but I could go deeper into the corners yep, with sure. DJ because it had disc brakes. Yep. So it's very interesting. Those two cars running together, they did race together at Le Mans also, which is very interesting. Of course, the D-Jag one in the Ferrari was a second or third, I think, in, in Le Mans. But interesting, those two cars, because the technology the Ferrari would take it on the straightaway, but I could outbreak them and turn into them. So at the end of the day, if you had some turns like we did, I got there first. <laughs> Very oh, great. I can't imagine you two. And of course, my listeners will remember Dominic. He's another friend of mine, a local Pacific Northwestern guy uh, who's been on the show a couple of times here. So I can't imagine you and Dom being able to do that together. And before we jump into the next question, real quickly, you mentioned this Maserati you have right now. What's that? Uh, the Maserati is a 1956 A6G 2000, and it's one of the Zagatos. Oh, my goodness. So this is a car. I didn't think I would ever be able to buy one because they don't come on the market. And then I was at Pebble Beach, and because of where I was, and I had been working on another car for Pebble Beach, that ended up being best to show at the time. So I was very busy. I wasn't paying attention to the auctions, but I was staying close to RM and I walked in there and I said, Oh my God, there it is for a designer. It checks all the boxes. Yeah. So I'm going like, gosh, what am I going to do here? And I made a decision. I'm going to try and buy this car, but it's really expensive and I need to talk to my wife about it because I, and you know, she's part of the team. So I have to do this. So it was like, get on the phone, see what you can do. 
And then I made the big mistake. I never drove the car, but I bought it. Again. <laughs> You're not learning from your history very well, David. <laughs> well, it was one of those things that behind the curve and so forth. And I've always told people it's like a house. Inspect it and drive it. Yeah. You can't go around the block. You can't do it. Well, I broke the car in a row. I bought the car and so forth. Gorgeous. But it drove like a pile of rocks. It was horrible. And so when I got it home um, and so forth, I put Spencer in it with me and I said, let's go on a new car. So it's always one of the David things. We drive around the neighborhood a little bit. And then we take it out the freeway and see what it's going to do. Yeah. And somebody cut in front of me and I hit the brakes and the thing swapped lanes on me. And then it popped out of gear and I'm going, this is not good. Yeah. Basically, the car came all apart, mechanically was sorted out and so forth and now it's a fantastic car yeah it's and now beautiful. it looks good but it drives well too and that's part of it and it's got great race history and to me it's one of the most beautiful cars that was ever designed and built all by hand with a zagato body ah uh, marvelous well thank you for taking us through a nice little garage tour there of history uh, all magnificent cars beautiful cars which combine beauty with speed with racing what a history you've had with vehicles. Let's take a short break and thank our sponsors, and we will be right back. <laughs> awesome. Have you looked under your hood recently? The average car today has more than 70 computers and 100 million lines of code. Today and tomorrow, being a professional technician requires an understanding of technology, computers, and electrical systems that are highly advanced and very complex. Cars yeah is honored to support TechForce Foundation as our charity of choice. Their efforts to help young people pursue a technical education and a fulfilling career as automotive techs is the key to an inspired life. Through scholarships, grants, and good old-fashioned hands-on experiences with vehicles, TechForce and Cars yeah are working together to connect young people with viable careers. Join us and learn more by visiting techforce.org today. GS Events was founded by Cindy Sisson and Teresa Gilpatrick. Together, they create strategic alliances, curated events, and business development connecting automotive brands to discerning audiences. Their flagship offering, Women Shifting Gears, amplifies women's voices and participation in the automotive culture. Through strategically developed events, they create innovative concepts and collaborations that create remarkable professional and personal experiences you won't find anywhere else. GS Events' immersive, inclusive opportunities create networking, skill building, and unforgettable experiences. Whether you enjoy rallies, concours, auctions, restoration, the business side of collective cars, or you always have yearned to expand your skills to drive vehicles, to its fullest potential, GS Events has automotive events and experiences designed just for you. And by the way, both Cindy and Teresa are past guests here on Cars yeah? so give them a listen. You can find gsevents.live on their website today. All right, I always ask my guests about a big challenge in their life, David. I'd love for you to share one with us, but more importantly, what was the, what was the lesson learned there as you went through that? Early on in life, I really struggled, and I'm basically dyslexic, and I never knew that until I was in my last year of undergraduate school at the University of Washington. I needed to pass foreign language, and I was struggling with it, and I have a German background. Uh, my grandparents were from Germany, and I was flunking German, and I was going like, oh, my what happened is, in the school I was in, you had to have proficiency in a foreign language to graduate, and I wasn't going to make it, and so forth. And fortunately, the instructor I had put me through basically a number of different trials and everything in a hearing and speech lab, and I ended up being diagnosed as dyslexic. And I never knew it. My parents never knew it. But it was a struggle. I could not read and write. They wanted to hold me back one year in school. I struggled with it. I was a laughing stock sometime because I would struggle so hard when you had to verbally get up in front of the class, read and write. And it's always been a struggle throughout my whole life because things get turned around in my head. Yep. I didn't know it. My parents didn't know it. And everybody thought I was just lazy. I didn't care. I didn't work. You know, yeah. oh, you're lazy. Why don't you work at it? You'll just get it. 
and so forth. And it's very, very demeaning and very, very cruel to have this happen. But nobody knew, including me. Wow. It's very, very hard because I struggle. And I struggle with it today. And fortunately, when I'm on the computer and stuff, they got spell check and I struggle with it. And sometimes number sequences are difficult for me. But what I've also learned is usually with a disability like this, you end up with something very special. And people that work at this have a way of getting around it. And what that does is their brain basically sometimes has something that's very special. That, and if they can use it, it is. My specialty is I can see things three-dimensionally that most people can't see. Mm -hmm. So my ability to look at things, see details, understand things, shape, form, and function is really, really well. And that's what's propelled me to be so good as a designer. Yeah. And in the day, I didn't know this. I just knew that once I got into industrial design, I had found what I thought I could do my whole life, but I just didn't know it. It's another story how I got there. But once I got there, I was on the dean's list the whole time I was in school and also in grad school. Wow. I found I was meant to be. And most people never, ever get there. Yeah. So I'm so fortunate to be able to have this and then be able to come out the other side with something that most people never have. I have a gift that most people don't understand and don't have. And I was able to use that gift. And that gift has put me in a special place in the world as a designer. And it helps me every day I work on these cars. You know, it's a marvelous story, David, and I really appreciate you sharing this. My listeners that listen regularly have heard this story over and over again. You've heard me talk about my father having dyslexia and the struggles, and they didn't know what was going on with him. All the same story, but this gift, as you call it, that you were given, like my father had, and so many other people on the show who are restorers, fabricators, artists, sculptors, all different types of people, photographers, they figured out how to work around it. So I really appreciate you sharing that story, giving people out there that struggle with this with hope that there's another way around this disability, this challenge that they face. It's a wonderful, wonderful story, and I appreciate you sharing it. I want to dive into your personal passion for cars here. When did you realize that you were a bit of a car guy? I think it was early on when I was growing up because we were boat racers. All the time that we were growing up, I had the car in my back. You know, I need a car and so on. And my father was, oh, we don't need cars here. We're boat racers and everything else. And what happened is when I was able to get enough money from delivering papers and mowing lawns, and I was basically 17 at the time, I'd saved enough money to buy my first car. I was part-time living at school and part-time at home. So my dad, I said, I'm going to buy a car. And he said, yeah, it's about time. You got your money. Yeah, I got my money, dad. And he said to me, oh, are you going to buy a Chevy like your brother? And I said, no. He said, well, I guess you're going to get a Ford then. I said, no. And he <laughs> said, well, geez, are you going to get something else? Are you going to get a Dodge or something? And I said, no, dad, I'm going to buy a Porsche. And he said, you got to be kidding. I said, no, dad, I'm buying a Porsche. He said, why would you buy something like that? It's foreign and it'll probably break. <laughs> and I said, dad, these are fantastic cars. Well, how do you know about that? Well, I read about it. Well, that doesn't mean it's right. And I said, well, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so I ended up finding a 356, a 1957 coupe, and it had a special interior on it. And it lived its whole life in a heated garage, had hardly any miles on it. And I was able to buy the car. But the interesting thing is the man sold it to me. I didn't get to pick it up. And then he sold it to somebody else and because uh, he could get a little bit more money. Yeah. And he said he'd give me my money back and so forth. But a struggle and everything else. My father basically did something that I don't know if a father should ever do. But he basically took the guy and said he's going to throw him out a window. And I got my car. <laughs> and that's an actual true story. So the end of that story, Mark, which is really interesting, is a year and a half later, I've got my Porsche, my brother's got his Porsche, and my father, who's an engineer for IBM, he's driving a Porsche. <laughs> Look what you started. Oh, that's that's and funny. that was the start of something special because nobody in the block 
Nobody in our neighborhood had Porsches, and we were all driving Porsches. The Porsche family down the hill. Well, I would expect nothing less from you. Here's a bit of an introspective question for you, David. If you were a car, your personality in a car, not what you want to be, but manifest as a car, what would David Smith be? But more importantly, I want to know why. I would be a Ferrari, and it would be a Cal Spider, because it does so many wonderful things. First of all, it's a beautiful designed car. Beautiful design meaning that it does all the right things. It's very, very special, because there's so few of them that were built. They're all hand-built. They're a wonderful piece of equipment to drive, to be open, to be able to do that. V12, amazing power, amazing to to just be in a car. I love just sitting in a car, and driving the car was even better. And wherever you went, it was, oh, that was a jaw opener. That car, anybody saw that car would go, oh my. And the car that I owned, which was a Cal Spider, the black on black car, it's been back to Pebble Beach three times. And every time it's been there, it's won an award. Yeah. So it's very special. And because of the design and the way it's put together and the details and the way it's all done, it really, really checks all the boxes for me. And I realized it's really nice to have an open car. An open car gives you more feel than a closed car. That's why I chose that over the uh, Maserati, because a Maserati is beautiful, beautiful car, but it's also a closed car. And when you're in an open car, there's the wind, there's the noise, there's all the different things around you. It's like running through the woods. If you're running through the woods instead of inside of a car, you really get a different feel of what those woods are. Ah, wonderful. Love your answer. I knew it was going to be something special for a guy like you that's so focused on detail, design, and everything being just so. All right, David, we're entering what I call the last lap. You've been on a track before. You know what this means. Time to put our foot into it. Kind of a lightning round. Quick questions, quick answers. So here we go. What's one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your successes through life? I'm stubborn and I don't give up. (laughs) I I know that for sure. (laughs) If you could have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, living or someone who's passed, who would it be? It would be Tony Merrick. And unfortunately, he's just passed away. Yeah, we just lost him. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I've worked so many cars that he worked on and I'd love to go back and say, what did you do here and there? Those are all reward. Absolutely. Now, when it comes to automotive advice, uh, obviously, you have a lot of advice to give because of your expertise, but what's the best advice someone else ever offered to you that was valuable? Drive the car first. (laughs) Drive the car. Yeah, we heard that. (laughs) We've heard that, and that's very, very true. Don't buy emotion. Buy it because it actually works. It's so important. I've talked to so many people who finally get to a point in their life when they can afford their dream car, and they've never driven one, and they buy it. And then they drive it and they go, what on earth? This is nothing like what I thought it would be. So, yeah, listen to David. Don't do as he did. Do as he says. (laughs) (laughs) Now, there's so many wonderful resources that we use these days. I know you could talk for an hour about them. But What's a a go-to for you on a regular basis that you could share? Well, I'm trying to force myself more into the digital age. So I'm going to say the computer and I use eBay and I use eBay Europe which is Italy, Germany, and so forth, and also Catawiki. There's some big nuggets on these places. You have to dig. You have to look. And, you know, it's just one of those things. Go through it. You'll find some nuggets on these things, especially the, the what we're going on right going through right now, we can't go to swap meets. So a lot of times you're going to have to do this networking and so forth. But I've been able to find some really wonderful things, historically wonderful parts of the automotive world that you would never find, uh, so forth. So look around. It's not just eBay here, but eBay Italy is is that. And just plow around in these things. Catawiki is also very good. That's another type of eBay through the Netherlands. Now, I know we talked about dealing with dyslexia, but the wonderful thing we have these days are, of course, audio books. I don't know if that's something you've gotten into. My wife is 
listening to audiobooks all the time. I always say it's because and she didn't have to listen to me. But she's got, I bought her these new Google earbuds she puts in her ears. They connect to her, her um, iPad and she gets books from the library and she is devouring books. She always has been an avid reader. Is there a book that you've read that you might want to share? Maybe an audiobook? This is not an audiobook. I'm not sure if it is or not. The book is called The Shoe Dog. It's a story of Nike by Phil Knight. Yes. It's a wonderful capture of how and what the struggles he went through and how he had to risk so much, not only himself, but his family and everything else to basically create his dream, which is Nike. And it's so close to me because in the day, Nike was ahead of Precor. But one of the biggest days in my life was being able to have our booth at a national show right next to Nike. Wow. And I knew Phil Knight. I've gotten, I don't know him very well, but I was always trying to do work with him and so forth because we have a lot of commonalities in Nike and Precor. So I read that and I'm going, oh my, there's so much of me in here, which is very interesting. And the struggles he went through and everything also. So the big difference in those two, so they're both wonderful companies, build beautiful products today, and have done very, very well. The difference is they went public, Precor never did. But Precor is just sold, and it's doing very well also. All right, we are up to the checkered flag here, David. Uh, this might be a challenging question for you, but maybe not since you know so much about cars. I'm going to buy you a collector car today. I'm going to park it in your garage, but there are some rules to this game that are going to, it's going to make this maybe challenging for you. It's not a vehicle you can sell to buy more toys with. So if you buy or pick an expensive one, because I'm doing the buying, you're stuck with it. I want you to drive it, but that's no problem for you. You love to drive. But here's the hard part. It's going to be the only one collector car in your garage. So it has to do just about everything in your world around vintage cars. What am I buying David Smith today? You're buying me a 1959 Ferrari long wheelbase Ferrari Cal Spider. <laughs> Here we are again. <laughs> right yeah. back. Yeah. Here it comes again. Yeah. That car keeps popping up. Yes. Yeah, that's the one. Now, would it be the black on black that you had? It'd be the black on black car. It yes. Would. Okay. Something yes. you know very well. Well, you know, that was a lot easier than I thought it might be for you, but I can tell that's where your heart uh, lies and having had one. You know, the great thing about you, David, is you have had so many wonderful cars. You share your cars with the world and then you sell them and you move on to something new. And I think there's a lesson to be learned here about life. Don't get stuck on one thing. Do different things. Get involved with different things, right? It's the process. And life to me is chapters. And if you're stuck on the same chapter all the time, it's not very exciting and it's not very interesting. So my life has always been chapters. These cars are just wonderful. We're just caretakers. We own them for a period of time. We share them. We enjoy them and so forth. But then we get on to something else. And I love the process. The process challenges me. It's like putting Humpty Dumpty back together again. He did fall off the wall, but we can put him back together again. And some of the cars that I have done have been absolutely total wrecks. They have been something that you, in, in, if it wasn't for the special history, the mark or something like that, they would get crushed. And I've been able to put them back together and keep a piece of automotive history alive today. And we're only caretakers, so they're going to go to somebody else. I'm very proud that most of the cars that I have sold and been a part of are in collections. The owners usually call me, congratulate me on what a wonderful car it is to have, to look at, to drive. They're still out there today. A number of my, uh, other cars I have are in museums, some are in collections and so forth. But they all live today and they all work, they all drive. Well, we appreciate that about you, David. This has been an honor and a pleasure. I've been trying to get David on the show for a long, long time, and I finally did it. Very grateful for your time today, my friend. Before I let you go and drive off into the, the woods or the out to the coast in that beautiful 59 LWB Cal Spider, what's one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance you might offer us today? If it's worth doing, 
Do it your best. <laughs> there we go. Right back to the beginning. Listeners, uh, you can find everything David has shared on his show notes page here today uh, at the Cars Yeah website. David, hey, thanks for this wonderful morning we've spent together here talking about cars, sharing your experiences. I can't wait to see the next one that is in your garage, and I can't wait to see you on a Concours lawn very soon. Fingers crossed it'll happen for all of us this year. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. Thank you so much, Mark. This has been great. What do you do after running a race team for 27 years with over 100 professional wins? multiple wins at the 24-hour of Daytona, and a win at Le Mans? Well, if you're Kevin Buckler, a racer and the racing group's team owner, you create Adobe Road Winery. Located in Petaluma, California, he and his team have created a winning combination with the Racing Series, four ultra-premium red wine blends that are in a class of their own. Like racing, these wines comprise of art, precision, engineering, science, and a whole lot of fun. You can choose from four blends titled Redline, Apex, Shift, and the 24. Today, I'm going to tell you about Redline. It's a rich and complex blend delivering a taste of ripe blackberries, black cherry licorice, and a hint of toasty oak. An added very cool option is that this features the world's first interactive wine label. That's right. When you pour the wine, the three-dimensional tachometer actually hits the Redline. It's incredible. The Racing Series is a killer gift for the automotive enthusiast in your life, and I've got a deal for you. If you use the code CARSYEAH, all one word, in all caps, when you go to checkout, you'll get $10 off any purchase of wines from the Racing Series. The wine ships promptly and arrives quickly right at your door. Use the code CARSYEAH at checkout for $10 off of your purchase today. There's always a seat at the table for excellence with the Racing Series. Go to adoberoadwines.com and use the code CARSYA to save $10 today. Cheers! Did you know that CARSYA is in the top 1% of all podcasts based on listenership according to Libsyn, the premier RSS feed for podcasts in the United States? That's right. And CARSYA is the only five-day-a-week automotive-focused podcast for you to get your message into the ears of thousands of listeners daily from all over the world. Plus, DuPont Registry recommended Cars Yeah is one of their top 10 car podcasts for you to enjoy. Cars yeah has experienced tremendous growth, plus your ads are evergreen, meaning they never go away. And more and more listeners find Cars yeah every day for their daily dose of automotive inspiration. Do you want to expose your brand to a highly targeted list of automotive enthusiasts in a very unique in very personal way, well, I can help you. Contact me, Mark Green, at mark at carsyad.com or through the website at carsyad.com today to learn more. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to carsyad.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!